Good morning, Auditorium One. Great to see you. Morning, Auditorium Two, over there. Good morning, everybody at home on your couches today. Great to see you. I'm Matt Rexford. I'm usually leading you in musical worship. Yes, uh, I get to teach every one or two or seven years. So <laughs> if you're a guest, I have good news for you, and then I have better news for you. All right, here's the good news. The good news is that if you're not a big fan of this, if you're not a big fan of me, then you can just be excited to hear the regular teachers, okay? Because they're coming. And the better news is that if you like this, just imagine how good the people are who actually do it for a living every week. So, only good or better news for you there. I wanted to do a little life catch up, if I may, just to break the ice. Uh, here's a picture in the spring. I was the baseball coach for my son's first grade team. I'm the guy in the back there. Uh, the city of Simpsonville put out a call that they needed coaches, and I thought, I could probably do that. I sat on the bench for my high school team, and I almost got to play on senior night, but I got hit in the face during warm-ups before the game and ended up back on the bench icing my face, so I'd probably be a great coach. <laughs> so anyway, I became the head coach, and during the first practice, uh, one of my little players had their glove on the wrong hand and backward, and... Another uh, one started crying because they were very sure that their mother had been kidnapped in the park and was not coming back. So I, I quickly learned that coaching was a combination of teaching baseball basics like don't throw dirt and please run after you hit the ball, like those important things. And then it was like a combination of child therapy, like your mom's probably not been kidnapped. And I told that kid they were way more likely to be kidnapped than their mom. But that didn't, didn't help, didn't help. I didn't say that, all right, so really chill. Uh, I started finding out many of the other dads and one mom had been coaches before. Uh, one dad was even an assistant coach at Erskine College, so no pressure there. No one's evaluating you. And then I began wondering what in the world I was doing there, but I really grew to love this group of kids and their families and spending time with my son. And it was coach pitch, and I only hit one kid all year. And that was just on the knuckles, so I think that was a win. Our team name was the Lug Nuts. That's right. It's a great name for a lot of first grade boys and two girls. Uh, so the Lug Nuts, our team cheers included, tighten up, Lug Nuts, and don't screw it up. And other puns around tires and wheels, that kind of thing. So. We would put our fingers up like drills and do like the hydraulic drill for our cheer. It was like, purr, 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 purr. that was our good play thing. So super rewarding. I really enjoyed it. Uh, anyway, that was for free. All right. That had nothing to do with anything because uh, today's message topic is a little bit heavier. We're continuing in our, our summer series. And what's it about, people? Words. That's right. The words we use how God's word shapes our words. And we've talked about words of mission. We've talked about uh, how we can be a witness to others with our words. Uh, words with others, what do we say in times of conflict? We've talked about our words to God. We've talked about uh, confession. Um, last week we talked about singing to God. And then in this message we're gonna continue in words of worship, words to God, but with a, a, a different slant. So today we recognize that yes, life is joyful, 
Life is full of God's good gifts and that we can always sing and sustain our hope, as Jim mentioned last week. But also that we live in a world that's marked by the curse. And so it's broken and it doesn't work like it's supposed to. It contains pain and sorrow and tears. And that means that our lives contain those things. From the aches and pains of deteriorating bodies to the underlying anxiety of dealing with social issues that we can't even seem to like get our head around, to frustration, maybe even anger, over our world that seems to mock God at every chance, to seasons of loss and grief and depression, and sometimes things happen that are, they shock us and hurt us in ways that we never saw coming and we never imagined. So. What do we say to God in those times? What do we say when everything isn't as we hoped it would be? What do we pray? What do we sing then? Can we even worship in those times? Or do we just have to hold out for greener pastures? Well, I say yes, we can worship. And more importantly, the Bible tells us yes. And so we're given a precious temporary gift for this lifetime. It's a tool called lament. And I say temporary because you're only going to be able to use it here and now before Jesus remakes everything and there's no more sorrow or pain. So we may as well learn this language as best we can while we can, while we need it. So what is lament? Well, lament is the words that we use with God when life is hard, when we don't know what he's doing or where he's taking us. They're words of honesty and struggle and words of trust and worship. So if you looked in the dictionary, uh, a simple definition of lament would be a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, which is true. But a biblical lament is directed toward God. So in light of that, here's my favorite simple definition of what lament is. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And so, really simple today, I'd like to spend a few minutes showing you some examples from the Bible that lament is a real thing. And then we're gonna just finish by talking about, well, how do we do that? How do we lament in everyday life? And before we do that, why don't we just pray, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts. God, we come today with gratefulness for your inspired word. It truly is uh, the word of God for the people of God, and we give thanks. Holy Spirit, we know that you delight to apply this word to us and to make it come to life. So um, we are open. Please do that in our hearts and our minds and then our lives as we go from this place. In Jesus' strong name, amen. So we find lament all throughout the pages of the Bible. And this, this could be a whole series, so I, I can't do a deep dive, just a little skim into three examples. But my point in examining these three pictures is really just to show you that you are allowed to lament. You are allowed to bring your questions and disappointments, even your anger to God, it's, it's in these pages. 
So one of the first examples is the ancient story of Job. You probably recall the story that even though this man was described as blameless and a man of complete integrity, there was a cosmic conversation going on behind the scenes that he didn't know about. And in very quick succession, he lost almost every earthly thing. Uh, the scene is described as servants almost running up to him, like on the heels of the other servants saying, your donkeys are all gone, your, your sheep burned up, your camels were stolen, and all your servants are dead. And then the worst news, the last servant came, the gut punch news that all of his children were dead at one time in a freak kind of tornado accident. And then if that's not enough, as soon his very health deteriorated into painful boils. So you can just imagine that weight, all of that at one time handed into your lap. And the framework for Job's time for how Israel and early followers of Yahweh would have understood life is this. If I keep the law, God will bless me. If I break it, then he must punish me. It's what scholar Walter Brueggemann calls a formula of Torah obedience. And it certainly held true a lot of the time. But Job and Israel would begin to experience and see that there's plenty of times that there were inconsistencies in a fallen world that didn't fit that formula, that they couldn't understand. So what happens next throughout the book of Job shows us that we can bring our messy questions to God, that lament is allowed at his feet. Job's friends come to visit, you might recall, and they get a bad rap, deservedly so later, but for a whole week they sit with him in silence and mourning. But when they open their mouths, they basically bring Torah obedience with them. And their conclusion is, hey, Job, you must have done something to deserve this pain. But Job, he won't give up. He won't stop wrestling with it. He won't stop bringing his laments to God. And then into God's perceived silence, here's just a sampling of some of the laments that Job offers. He says, what I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. God's terrors are lined up against me. Don't I have a right to complain? And then there is a, a pretty significant shift in the middle where Job is actually speaking to God, which is a step in itself. But Job says, why do you turn away from me? Why do you treat me as your enemy? In chapter 30, I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. You have become cruel toward me. You use your power to persecute me. Wow. Strong, strong words, and God can handle it. Does Job get a satisfying answer of why this happened by the end of the book? No, not really. But I heard my friend Trenton pray this week that in lament, we get an experience of God himself that we couldn't have gotten any other way. And that's what Job had. We see a powerful example of someone who refused to let go of God. And these are some of the words that he used to express his pain. We see another example in Jeremiah, who has got the great nickname, the weeping prophet. And I had a little uh, daydream this week. Can you imagine when poor Jeremiah got 
to heaven and he was talking to the other prophets around a nice feast of something. And he was like, so hey, what was your prophetic ministry like? And Elijah said, well, I got to do a sacrifice battle with the prophets of Baal and called on fire and I also raised up a child to life. And Jeremiah's like, cool, that's cool, that's great. And then Jonah said, well, I was chosen to preach God's good news to the most wicked civilization on the planet, but I refused and ran away, and then I got eaten by a fish, but then I got thrown up by the fish. But I finally went, and I preached one sermon, and they all repented. And Jeremiah was like, okay, wow, that's, I'm really happy for you. And then, and then Daniel chimes in, and he says, well, I refused to worship an idol, so I was thrown into a den of lions, but God shut their mouths, so we just cozied up, and they made great pillows. What about you, Jeremiah? What, what was your ministry? Well, my ministry was mostly like crying, like a lot of sadness and weeping. No one ever listened to me. Like poor Jeremiah had a rough go of it. He was faithful to prophesy God's words and almost never listened to. He saw lots of wars. He got thrown in prison a lot for the things that God had him say. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, the son of the chief priest, chief priest of the temple does not like what Jeremiah has told him. So he has Jeremiah beaten, whipped, and placed in stocks, which does not look like a fun time. And in one complaint in this spot, Jeremiah says all these things in chapter 20. Oh Lord, you misled me and I allowed myself to be misled. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. Let me see your vengeance against them, for I have committed my cause to you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. Immediately, yet I cursed the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Talk about ups and downs. Like, tell us how you really feel, Jeremiah. We see a little praise, some accusations, and all the way to wanting to have never existed. He even wrote a whole book called Lamentations in our Old Testament, which I learned this week, tradition says that he wrote that in a cave overlooking the smoldering ruins of Jerusalem after it had been defeated. And these are some of the words that Jeremiah used when things happened to him that he couldn't comprehend. Of course, our biggest examples of lament are found in the Psalms and the life of David. Almost a, a third to a half, depending on how you categorize them, of the Psalms are laments. And many from the pen of David because he knows heartache and difficulty. We might think of him as the mighty king, but it was a long road to get there. He was the last of eight children, overlooked, forgotten, tending the sheep in the wilderness in silence and solitude for long periods of time. He sees frequent death. He sees other, the Philistines invading his land. Remember, he has to kill a huge giant. Throughout his life, he knows a lot of trouble, just to name a few. Loses his best friend, Jonathan. Being denied the throne that was rightfully his and pursued by King Saul, who really should have been mentoring him into the throne, but instead, I'm going to kill you. Then later in life, he faced major consequences from his sin of adultery, from arranged murder, 
He lost a son right after birth, and then he loses another son, Absalom, later on who tries to take his throne. This is a lot of emotional trauma. This is a lot of pain. And in the Psalms, we're given a little glimpse of how he processes these events. What does he do with it? So just to name a few of David's Psalms in 22, 27, 13, 38, 51, 55, 109, 32, 103, we see David's heart just pouring out before God. And he says things like this. I invite you just to read these to yourself and think on them while I get a drink of water. Ready to go. You can begin to see in David's laments a combination of complaint and trust and praise, which we'll unpack a little bit later. But the words that David uses are also honest, heartfelt, and real. Author named Esther Fleece, in an article in Christianity Today, she summarizes like this. It's hard to find a person in the Bible who was without grief. And from them, we learn that lament is a passionate expression of that grief that God meets us in. From Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, to Esther and Mordecai, God's children were full of laments. When I sent this message to Charlie, Charlie to look over, because I, I try to do that to avoid like outright heresy, I just like him to peek at it. He sent me these two paragraphs that I just wanted to read them to you verbatim because they're so good. So this is Dr. Charlie Boyd in his new book, Text Messages with Matt Rexford. And he says this. You have probably heard and asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But do you see in these few examples that bad things happen to God's people? Bad things happen to God's people. And when they do, God's people can be honest with God about how they feel. They can pray their pain their hurt, their fears, their frustrations, their disappointment, their confusion. They are honest with God in their prayers of lament. And that leads them to anchor their trust in God when God seems silent. See, in the church today, there's lots of preachers who teach that if you have faith, bad things won't happen to you. If you get sick, you'll be healed. If you're struggling financially, God will send the harvest. Of course, if you send the preacher the seed money. If your kid runs off the rails, claim the promises and he or she will come back. And in that theology, there is no room for lament. End quote. Thank you, Charlie. See, it's fun and exhilarating to say words of worship like hallelujah, which means praise the Lord, or maranatha, which means come, Lord Jesus, or We say amen in a lot of different ways, like, yes, I agree, may it be true. But in some seasons, it can be just as important for us to say, how long, O Lord? Or why? Or I trust you. Or I I still hope in your unfailing love. So how do we lament? Where do we start? Well, for this next part, I've already done a shorter version of this at a night of worship, 
and then I did a version for the middle schoolers. So this might be the second or third time you've heard this part, but if so, God wants you to just get it. He wants you to hear it again and reinforce it. So hang with me. We've re- we recommended a few summer reading resources along the way. So here's my two, if you're intrigued for further study after this. Uh, the two books that have really shaped my understanding of lament outside of the Bible are A Sacred Sorrow by Michael Card, really thoughtful musician from a lot of years ago. I read this uh, many years ago after Whitney and I had experienced a difficult loss. And it started my thinking that, that there could be worship in times of grief and pain. And then more recently, this is Dark Clouds Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. He is missing at least a consonant from his last name, I think. <laughs> Varoe Jope. Like, I'm going to go with Vrogop for today. I've never met him, but I drew heavily on his book for my closing outline uh, because it's just helped me to structure my laments more, like have a, a pathway to walk down and show me how to apply those things. So I was thinking this morning if. If you know the list of 10 books to take to you the desert island, I think I'd take these two because I'd be lamenting a lot that I was on the desert island. And so there you go. Uh, so how does one lament? What does this look like in daily life? Well, I want everybody to say tea cat. Tea cat. There you go. Uh, do you know who these odd looking creatures are right here? Thundercats. Yeah. Everybody's like, what is happening there? It's a, it's a really weird cartoon called Thundercats. Those are tea cats, all right? Uh, do you know what this is? That's just my dog, Harvey. I want you to see that he's doing well. I just wanted you to see him. He's having tea with my kids. He's a tea dog right there. Uh, do you know what this is? It's a cat drinking tea. It's a tea cat. And I want this image to haunt your dreams and help you remember... The acrostic TCAT. Well, what in the world is that, Matt? Well, uh, TCAT just stands for the following that is a kind of pathway to lament. So the first T is turn to God. The C is bring your complaints. The A is to ask boldly. And then the last T is to trust him. And we'll walk through those a little bit on each one. So our first step when we find ourselves in a place of confusion, place of, of life not going how we would want is to keep turning to God. Keep turning to prayer. We must resolve to talk to God in the middle of the mess. And it sounds simple, but it, it can be really difficult when your heart is hurting. When we encounter something that emotionally it seems to be at odds with God's goodness, and his faithfulness. Sometimes we don't know how to approach him. Have you ever felt that? This is from the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I've found that many people are afraid of lament. They find it too honest, too open, or too risky. But there's something far worse, silent despair. Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, he doesn't hear, and nothing is ever going to change. People who believe this stop praying, they give up. Psalm 77 says, I cry aloud to God and he will hear me. 
In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. So to keep praying in pain is an act of faith, and it's better than silence. Don't give in to despair. Don't act like God doesn't care or God doesn't hear. When we keep dragging our thoughts, good or bad, into the open, we can start dealing with them. So I invite you to pray your struggles, pray your questions, pray the gospel truth over your heart when you struggle to believe it. It's not easy. It's it's not simple. I'm not saying that. But it's the starting point to keep turning to God. And maybe that's your first step today, is to move from a silent despair and turn back to God in prayer. Then we can bring our complaints. C is bring our complaints. Or you could say complaints are brought, if you really want the C first. If some, that might bother some of you. Now, I know that complaint seems like such a negative word to us, right? We're trying to teach our children not to complain all the time, aren't we? But this is different. This is deeper than petty whining. Like This isn't like, Father, my lowest seat warmer is not instantly activated. Like It's not like that. It's not a shallow grumbling about an inconvenience. And side note, it's different than grumbling to each other which we are really good at. Or it's different than airing our grievances about the world to social media, which is really good for our souls always, right? This type of complaint is directed to God, the one who can do something about it, the one who can change our hearts, who can work in our attitudes. And as we examine the Psalms, we see that it's not just a blind rage against God, but In a lot of cases, it's citing God's promises back to him, feeling as if he's forgotten those promises. Vrogop says, biblical lament complains on the basis of our belief in who God is and what he can do. So we see in Psalm 10 and others like it, questions about God's seeming remoteness. They ask, why do you stand far away? We see questions about God's seeming disinterest Why did you hide yourself in times of trouble? When we experience pain without answers, these questions, complaints, they give voice to what we're feeling. And I find that really comforting. I hope you do that. You don't have to stuff all those feelings deep inside and put on a fake smile with God. He can handle all of these things. Here's a few helpful hints to shape how we complain. Bring your specific frustrations. Don't be so general that it really means nothing to you, but lay out the specifics of your situation. Say it out loud, or I've enjoyed writing it in the last couple years, journaling it. I find that this specificity sharpens the prayer. It, It pushes me farther toward God. I invite you to come humbly, even as we voice our complaints, not in belligerence. Be honest. If you don't know what to say, use the language of the Bible to assist you. Find a psalm that speaks what you're feeling, or this is a great phrase that, God, I know you aren't fill in the blank, but it feels like you are today. God, I know you aren't absent, but it feels like you are today, or God, I know that you aren't cruel to me, but it feels like you are today. 
But to move through the steps of lament, we can't stop here at complaint. So our third step, we continue on to asking boldly. The A is to ask boldly. Doesn't it seem sometimes that the psalm writers were calling upon God with such authority, it's almost like they were commanding God. Their confidence in God compelled them to make bold requests. So throughout the Psalms, we see phrases like this. And as you listen to these, which one do you relate to most today? Maybe grab on to that. We see requests like, arise, O Lord. Fix what is wrong with the world or my world. Arise and do something. Requests like, grant us help. Always wise request. Remember your covenant, God. Remember your promises. Be true to them. We believe in them. Let justice be done. Lord, you're the one who can stand up for the innocent. Don't remember our sins. I love that one. And thankfully, through the cross, he does not remember our sins, but still a wonderful prayer for today. Sometimes our sins have caused some pain and some consequences for us. And so we we see this pattern of asking for mercy despite our dumb choices. Don't remember our sins, Lord. Restore us. Bring us healing in, in any area or level. Restore us, God. Don't be silent, Lord. Listen to me. Kind of square one, to know you'll be heard. Teach me, Lord, or vindicate my name. Clear my reputation. These are all types of bold asking that we see in the Psalms. And we have an even stronger foundation on which to approach the Father with our requests. Hebrews chapter four, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can boldly bring your specific requests to a God who hears you. And that brings us to the last T of T-Cat. Look at it. Meow. What are the steps? Let's review real quick. The first T is to turn to God. The C is to bring our complaints. The A is to ask boldly. And then our final step moving through lament is to trust in the Lord. To choose to trust. Our suffering refines us. It refines what we trust in. It refines how we talk about it. But this is how we reach another point of decision. Once again, Vrogop, he says, reaching out to God in prayer, laying out your complaints, and boldly asking for help were meant to bring you to this point, to invite you to make the decision of faith-filled worship. So in almost all Psalms of Lament, we will see this really important hinge. Some call it a bridge or a transition. Michael Card calls it crossing the line. But it's marked by words like yet, but, or however. So when we get into the Psalms, I think relatively soon, pay attention when you you read those yet bridges. It's signaling the turn to intentionally shift from the cause of the lament 
to trust in God's promises, God's character, his action. So they will say things like, yet I have seen your goodness in my life. Or yet I will remember your mercy and love. Yet I believe that you are still faithful and working in my life. And this is a crucial part of the words that we use in lament. We need to move from God, I feel very alone to but I know and believe that you are always with me. God, it seems like the wicked are always winning the day and prospering. However, I trust that you will one day make everything right and that you will rule with true justice. This completes the cycle of lament. It's a movement all the way to active patience and trust. And then the next day or the next hour or the next minute as you need it, you can start that whole pattern again. So I'd like to take a look at one short, a complete example of this. Psalm 13 is great. I'm gonna read it through. It's gonna be on the screen. And see if you can notice this T-cat pattern as we go through. So the writer is already turned to God because he's obviously addressing him in the middle of whatever mess he is facing. And he, he starts his prayer like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It's a pretty honest complaint, yeah? I feel forgotten. I feel like you're turned away from me. There's some sorrow. There's some enemies that want to get him. Not fun, and he's honest about it. So verse three, he brings his requests. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. His requests, he wants to know that the Lord hears him. He wants to know that the Lord answers him. And he asks for very practical deliverance from his enemies, from whatever he's facing. And then here's the very important bridge. But, and these three wonderful phrases, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. These three phrases, they, they so well summarize why we can still worship in hard times. I have trusted in your steadfast love. We have a record of God's love in our lives and the world. And so we can reinforce what we've experienced and what we know to be true. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Even more so for us, we can see God's ark of redemption, his long ark of work in the world. And we can rejoice without knowing how all the dots connect right now. And then I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
We can move into faith-filled worship, believing in God's character, even when we don't quite understand what he's doing. This is lament. This is how we endure. It's a minor key language for our worship, and it's much needed throughout our lives. So we're given this gift. We can turn, complain, we can ask, and put our trust again in the Lord. These are the words we use when life is hard. Uh, I don't know if you, I just got this news before the service. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we prayed for a missionary uh, in Myanmar, a dear brother named Dr. Moon. And his letter to us, if you remember hearing that read that day, was a beautiful lament. He didn't know what God was doing. So why would, why would there be persecution and famine and COVID rampant in my area of the world? He didn't know, but he, he went a couple times and said, but we trust in God. We trust in his goodness and what he's doing. And so I got the sad news today that Dr. Moon contracted COVID and, and passed away last night. And so I've been, I've been lamenting that and grieving that this very morning. And my lament has, has just sounded like, why? why? Why, oh Lord, would you take such a wonderful, righteous man from a, a place of great ministry with this disease at this moment in time? It doesn't make sense to our minds. And I have to move through to go, because your ways are way higher than our ways. Your, your, your mysterious will is beyond what we can comprehend. And I've heard Charlie say many times at funerals that God is never wrong to bring one of his children home to him. So even in this very day, we lament the loss of one of our missionaries. And we cry out on behalf of that segment of the world and pray for his family and his, his congregation there. I'd like to invite you to prayer and give you a chance to personalize this pathway to praise. So let's pray together and I'll lead you through these, these four sections of lament. Why don't you begin by just orienting your heart, the posture of your soul toward God in humility. Maybe that's a big step for you today. There's a lot of anger, despair, and your, your simple step today is just to acknowledge that he is God and, and speak to him once again. And then I invite you to bring your complaints, your hurts, your frustrations, even angers today. 
And for you, that might be really easy. It might lay right on the surface because it's a big grief. It's a recent loss. It's, it's something that's dominated your thoughts. It might be just a generalized anxiousness or angst about something in the world or in your life. Whatever it is, we need to bring that to the Lord instead of stewing on it, talking to others about it. So take a moment and bring your honest complaints to the Lord. And then we can bring our request to him boldly. And I invite you to tie those requests to what you're feeling, to what your complaint was. If you've suffered a recent loss, what is your request? God's comfort, God's nearness, that he would sustain you. Just take a moment, ask him boldly for what you need. And if you can today, I invite you to the worship of trust in God in the middle of suffering, in the middle of hardship. So what truths about God, what things that will never change are still true even in the middle of what you're facing? You go back and dwell on those. You go back and proclaim those over your heart and tell them, to God and trust. God, we've lifted up hundreds of different laments today. You've heard them all. You know each one. You care for each one. We are a broken people living in a broken world. And we have desperate need for you. So please lead us down this path of lament over and over as you meet us right here in the middle of that pain. And you give to us 
a deeper experience of you right in the middle of it. Amen. Amen. Well, we end our service today by, by turning our thoughts to Jesus. If you didn't get communion elements as you came in, um, now's appropriate time to stand up and go get those. Those are at the, the doors uh, back here, so feel free to move around. Or at home, if you weren't aware, we have about um, a couple minutes. You can prepare a few elements there as well. So as we're about to celebrate communion, we remember that our Savior was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was tempted in every way that you have been, yet without sin. He knew hunger and loneliness and homelessness and ridicule. And what was his example to us? What did he do with those things? Well, many mornings you would find him getting up early and retreating to pray. And I have to believe he was often laying out his laments of life incarnate of what it was like to be God in the flesh. Echoing the psalms of lament that he knew, perfectly complaining and asking and expressing his trust in his Father. Jesus laments death at Lazarus' tomb and he weeps with his friends. He laments over the city of Jerusalem as he foresees its destruction and all of the pain that it's gonna cause. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the tenderest expression as Jesus laid on his face and he said, Father, can we do this a different way? Is there any other way to do this? Yet, not my will, but yours be done. How honest, but trusting. So when we come to the table today, we rejoice that because of the cross and resurrection, our laments are always answered by God's acceptance and the presence of his Holy Spirit given to comfort us. We don't always get relief from our pain. We don't always get the specific answers that we seek, but we get to offer our suffering to God as worship. And we get to meet him right in the middle of our mess. We're gonna sing probably one of the most amazing songs of lament in our songbook. And then after three verses, we'll take communion together. So let's stand, let's lift our song of praise and lament to our God.